Would you turn with me, please? Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, the 8th chapter. Let's bounce around a little bit. Um, if you recall, um, last, well, a couple of times ago, we, we saw the angels standing at the four corners of the earth in chapter 7 and verse 1. They were holding back the winds of the... Uh, it was like they were holding back the judgment. And, and, then, and then, it, then there was a pause. And, and how long that pause is for, I don't, I'm not certain. But there was a time that the Lord took to, to take the 12 tribes of Israel and then to choose 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000 men. And he unleashed these evangelists, these Jewish uh, sealed men of God unto the world. And, and we were told that they went, they went to and fro. They, they, if you look at chapter 7 and verse 9, John looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. There were people from every nation, from all the tribes, from all the people, from all the tongues. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they had palm branches in their hands. And that was an encouragement to, to I think, all of us who love the Lord to think that, that some of the people that we love will have an opportunity to come to Christ if, in fact, um, we are raptured uh, before uh, the tribulation begins. And what about our loved ones? Um, as we've been studying through this place in Scripture, as we've now come to the 8th chapter, from the 4th chapter on, everything is future. None of these things have we seen yet. We're seeing, we're seeing traits of what would, what's going to happen just before the Lord would come back. We're seeing um, indications that, that the time is near. We're seeing all of these things. But when John was commanded, and when the, this book, the book of Revelation, was separated into three very distinctive parts. Remember? In fact, let me refresh your memory. Turn back to chapter 1, and look with me at verse 19. And John was commanded in chapter 1, in verse 19, to, it says, write of the things which you have seen. Now John told us about the things that he had seen, explaining the risen, resurrected Christ. He's seen him in all of his glory. That was in chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. We went through that and we took a look at Christ. And we, we saw that John fell on his face before him. He, was, he, he, had, he had spent many a day, much time with our Lord. But to see him in that fashion, it just... He, John was just overwhelmed. And then the next thing in chapter 19 that, that John was told to write was of the things which are. And we saw in chapters 2 and 3 that John explained the church. He saw seven churches that kind of took into, into the church age, the, the, the day in which we now live in. Seven different churches. And there were problems in five of the seven churches. And then John was told in chapter 1, verse 19, to write of the things which shall take place after these things. In other words, after the church age, after the rapture of the church, during the great tribulation period, and that goes from chapter 4 on. In one sense, these things that are taking place should not concern us, because hopefully, if if what we are reading and, and, and the way we're interpreting the Bible at this place will not be on earth during these events. Now I tell you to write everything in pencil because who knows, but it appears that we shall not be. But in reality, 
the great tribulation will definitely affect us. It'll affect our loved ones, our family members, our friends who are left behind if in fact we are raptured before the tribulation period begins. And that ought to affect you and me greatly. And that's why chapter 7 to me was such a blessing to see so many people in, in chapter 7 verse 9 that, that were standing before the throne of God, so many that John said he couldn't count them all. That's fabulous because that means there are, if in fact we're gone, our loved ones, our friends that we've been sharing our faith with might come to the realization that what we were saying is true and they need to come to Christ at that time. And so many of you have told me, you know, to study this book like we've been doing frightens me. And, and rightfully so, because of the magnitude, the terror of these coming events. If in fact they're true, these events are horrendous. And now we come into chapter 8 and they get, they really get worse. You know, listen, I admit, the four horsemen, those guys that rode in on the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the ashen horse, who told of, uh, of a false peace and then war and, and, and then death and then famine, and then the sixth seal describing the terrible judgment that fell upon this earth, so horrendous that the, the, the people were hiding in caves and they were asking the rocks, fall on me so as to hide me from the, the judgment that is to come. It boggles the mind just to read of these things. And sadly, I, I must say to you, the worst is yet to come. If in fact, you and I, if in fact we who believe in Jesus Christ have left the earth, if in fact we have been raptured, we can know for certain, after reading these things that we are seeing from chapter 6 on, why the rapture is called the blessed hope of the church. Because the tribulation period is terrible. If you're a child of God, if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, and if then, therefore, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you will be personally delivered to Christ when the church goes out of this world before the great tribulation period you know, I, I, I tell you that I want us so much to be like the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia, the Lord said, I've opened a door which no one can shut. And he says, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. I want us to be like that. And then he said to those people, the church at Philadelphia, because you have kept my word. This is in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, the 10th verse. Listen. Because, he says, you have kept my word, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I think that's an indication that, that faithful believers will not go through the tribulation. We will be kept from that hour of testing. Well, I want you to read with me chapter 8. I'm going to cover some of it only in part. The, the part that I want to concentrate on today is the answer of prayer. Just the, the whole idea that we're going to have a, an evening of prayer here on the 26th, it kind of goes in line with the, I'm going to say to you later, the, 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 the effectual prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And, and I want you to know that, that 
the prayers of these saints our Lord now is going to answer. But first I want you to get a, a look at, at what is about to take place through these trumpet judgments. Read with me please. It says in verse 1 of chapter 8, When he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him that he might add it, add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Verse 6 says, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared, prepared themselves to sound them. Father, to study these, uh, these trumpet judgments that are going to come upon the earth is uh, it's terrifying. I, I pray that no, no one, not a soul, would be left behind. But Father, I know, I know better. I know that there will be. And I pray that you would touch the hearts of those that to see the seriousness of what we are studying, to see the seriousness of knowing our Lord and walking with him and having a relationship with you, Father, that is second to nothing else in our lives, that we would, as we've been taught through the churches, that we would have given you our first love, never letting it alter or falter in any shape, way, or form, Father, that we would just love you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, as the Bible says in the book of Psalms, would you would open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And for that to take place, I, I ask you, Father, actually I beg of you, please move me aside. Allow us, to, allow us to sense and to hear from your heart to ours. Teach us as only you can. Guide us as only you can. Uh, move us in the direction, Father, that you desire for us to go. I've always felt, Lord, that if people would sense that it was your voice, not, not some preacher's, but your voice that was speaking to them, that they would be more inclined to want to move. And so I want to be out of the way, Father. I, I don't want to get in the way of what you want to do or say to any single one of us, myself included, of course. So please, Father, bless us this time. Allow us, Father, to hear your heart. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the trumpets stand out. And, and so we need to probably take a look at what is the significance of, 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 in Scripture of, of, of trumpets. In the Old Testament, the trumpets were used to summon the congregation together. Uh, the, summon, the trumpets were used to sound the alarm in time of war or to announce religious feasts or a new king. It was, it was used to worship God and to the giving of the law. In the New Testament, the trumpet was used to to announce the rapture. In fact, let me, let me just briefly read with you, if you wouldn't mind. I'm going to turn to it. You can, if you wish, to, to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I just want to read you what the wonders of this wonderful sound of the trumpet. Paul says in, in verse 13 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, 
I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep. In other words, those who have died. He says, I don't want you to grieve as do the rest who have no hope. In other words, you can grieve over the loss of any loved one, of course, but, but not without hope. Because, he says, if we, verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, even so God is going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, there is an order. When the trumpet sounds, the, the dead will rise first and those who are alive will will follow after them. In fact, that's what he says in in the next verse. Listen to verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Can you not even imagine that moment? Can you not even, I mean, I I, I hate height, but I can't wait. If if I get that, I just want to be a part of that. And look down on the, uh, I just, it boggles my mind. I try not to be too too much about this, but it just is amazing to me. And so the trumpet will sound at the time of the rapture, and it also will sound, as we're seeing now, at the judgments that are being proclaimed upon the earth during the great tribulation. And with each of the seven trumpets, our Lord is going to unleash a specific judgment, each with a greater intensity than the last. First there were the seals, seven seal judgments, then seven trumpet judgments, and then we're going to find later seven bowl judgments, 21 in all. And after the completion of the seal judgments, we're going to see that the first four trumpet judgments, they're going to destroy the earth's ecological system. Chapter 8, verses 6 to 13, we can read about it. I, I mean, if, if, if Al Gore is alive then, he's going to have every reason to be very upset about global warming. Yeah, he's going to see it then. <laughs> the fifth and sixth trumpet produces a dynamic, demonic, demonic destruction of mankind beyond belief. The seventh trumpet will introduce the Last set of judgments, the bold judgments that, that are way off in the 16th chapter. So we've got a lot of time before we get to, to that. Let's talk about chapter 8 a little bit. In verses 1 and 2, following this, the half hour of, of silence, John looks and there are seven angels who are standing before God. And we spoke of this last week. We told you that the the verb translated stand was in the perfect tense. It it indicated that they are standing in the presence of God and have been standing there faithfully to do His will. And then I asked you and me last week, where have we been standing? How do we stand before God? Are we really, really willing and ready to do His will? I didn't read, but Verse 7, it says, the, the first angel. I want you to take a look at what's going to happen this earth. We'll see more about this in, next week. The first angel, it says in verse 7, 
blew his trumpet, and, and now watch. A third of the earth was burnt up. A third of the trees were burnt up. All the green grass was burnt up. Second trumpet sounded, verses 8 and 9. John says, something like a great mountain. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a great mountain. It was something like it. It was beyond what John could even imagine. What it was, we don't know. But it was burning with fire and it was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. Verse 9, third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third trumpet sounded in verses 10 and 11. And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. In other words, drinking water was now well, look what it says in verse 11. The name of the star was called Wormwood. The third of the waters became Wormwood. Many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and watch. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. In other words, everything was darkened. And then in verse 13, John says he saw and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels are about to sound. In other words, it's going to get worse. And so I had a rough week. I wept a lot. I'd, I'd, I wish that none would do go through this. Not a soul. Not a soul. There comes afterwards the fifth, sixth, seventh trumpet. It's in chapter 9. The fifth trumpet John saw belched out of hell itself the demons who unmercifully tormented human beings. And at the sixth trumpet in the ninth chapter, John saw four powerful demons who had been prepared for that hour, that day, that month, that year. And they were released so that they could kill a third of mankind. It's very heavy, is it not? Enough of that horror. Let's talk about the prayers that are answered. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. After the half hour of silence... In verses 3 through 6 of chapter 8, we see the prayers of the saints being brought before God. Read with me again verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Look, another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add, add this incense to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which were before the throne. Wait, let's look. Look back at chapter 6 for just a moment, please. Chapter 6, look at verses 9, 10, and 11. When John saw that, that the fifth seal was broken, he saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. In other words, during the tribulation period, people are going to be martyred for their faith. He says in verse 10, they cried out, with a loud voice, saying to the Lord, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? 
He said to them, here's a white robe, rest a while until the number of your fellow servants and their the number of the fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as you had been, should be completed. Well, here in chapter 8, in verse 3, we're going to see that that time now appears to be completed. I told you last week that from chapter 7 on, it's hard to find anyone that comes to know and trust and believe in Jesus Christ. From this point forward, it seems to be that most people, all they do is blaspheme God and will not repent of their deeds. And so in verse 4 of chapter 8, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, they went up before God out of the angel's hand. And then it says in verse 5, really important, the angel then took this censer, he filled it with the fire from the altar, and then threw it to the earth. There followed, after he threw this to the earth, peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now can you even imagine? It had been silent in heaven for a half, silent everywhere for a half an hour. And now all of a sudden there's thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. In verse 3, this another angel really means an angel of the same kind or like the seven that are mentioned in verse 2. The reason I mention to you that is that some of the commentators try to say that, that the angel here that throws the fire to the earth is Jesus Christ. Many of them say it is not. Because they made mention that Jesus has already been identified as the Lamb in chapter 7 and verse 17. This is simply another angel who is in heaven to do the will of God, much like Gabriel. Remember when Gabriel said, I am he, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of my God. And what does he do? This, this angel in verse 3, he adds incense to the prayers of the saints upon that golden altar. He fulfills what was asked of God, as we just read out of chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11. When they asked, Lord, how long will it be? How long do we have to wait before you judge and avenge our blood upon those who are on the earth? Well, it appears that that time now is, is at hand. God would finally judge and avenge their blood. His judgment begins in earnest. Verse 5 tells us the prayers of the saints are answered and God allows this angel to fill that censer with fire and throw it to the earth. This act of throwing, the angel throwing this fiery, whatever substance it is, to the earth shows us that this coming trumpet judgment is a direct response of the prayers of God's saints who stand before His altar. It becomes a symbol of God's divine wrath poured out upon this earth. If you note in verse 5, following this fire to the earth come the peals, the thunder, the sounds, the flashes, the lightning, the earthquake. It's a direct contrast of the silence we saw in verse 1. We see where the Bible truly teaches us that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Old Testament as well as new. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 
35 says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In due time their foot will slip. The day of their calamity is near, the Lord says. The impending things are hastening upon them. In other words, the time is rushing towards this judgment that is coming. And vengeance will be his, saith the Lord. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 says, We know him who said, Vengeance is mine. He will repay. The Lord will judge the people. We also see that James chapter 5, verse 16, is correct when it says, The effective prayers of a righteous person can accomplish much. So I'd love for us to pray here next Sunday night. Pray together for our church, for people that you know and love. Now despite all of this terrifying judgment that comes to the earth, which by now everyone acknowledges it is from God, Look back at chapter 6. Remind ourselves. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17. It says in verse 15 of chapter 6, The kings of the earth, great men, the commanders, the rich, the strong, the slave, the free, they all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us. Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? And when we studied through that, we came to the conclusion, of course, that nobody can stand. None of us can stand. There is nothing that you, you and I can do or accomplish apart from, from what Jesus Christ allows us to do. So who can stand? The answer is clear. No one. No one. And despite all of this worldwide preaching from the 144,000 Jews, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Listen, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached, he said. He shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Everyone's going to hear, he says. And then, he says, the end will come. We're looking at that time. How far ahead of us it is, no one knows. But we are looking and studying at that time. And it ought to grieve yours and my heart that these people will have to go through this, whoever it is on this earth. And yet people still refuse to believe. Look ahead at chapter 9 for a moment. Look at verses 20 and 21. We already looked at those that blasphemed God and, and wouldn't repent, but in chapter 9, maybe we read this last week, I don't recall, but in verse 20 it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. They didn't repent of the works of their hands, nor as to stop worshiping demons, nor the idols of gold, nor silver, nor brass, nor stone, nor wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. In other words, these idols that they worshipped did them no good. They could not see, walk, hear. Verse 21 says, And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. It seems incredible to me. Having experienced the fury of God's judgment, hearing the message of salvation as clearly as they would ever hear it from these 144,000 evangelistic Jews who are sealed and, and, and blessed by God, that the people still stubbornly cling to their sins, still refuse to repent. You know, 
Sad truth is, I get it. I get it. It wasn't that long ago. Oh, yeah, it is. Now I'm so old. But, it, but it, at least I can remember when I came to Christ. And I remember the reasons that I refused to, to trust and believe in Christ. There were at least, I think, two people. I remember one guy told me he invited me to his house. It was in Oklahoma. Playing ball there in Oklahoma City. Remember the guy who did it? I won't tell you his name, but he, he invited me to his house and his wife cooked us dinner and he shared Christ with me and he told me he gave me a Bible. I don't remember any of it. Another person shared Christ with me. And I know now what I didn't know then. What I know now is that I, I enjoyed my sin more than I was willing to give it up. That's what I know now. In fact, John chapter 3. Would you turn with me there, please? Turn. John chapter 3. It's, it's worth looking at. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And I want you to stay here for a moment, John. The sad truth is John chapter 3 is true. As true as could be. Our Lord writes, this is the judgment or John writes, our Lord says, that this is a judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. I get it. I, I relate to that. I understand it. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See, the unbelieving world has rejected Jesus Christ the first time he came. And it continues to reject the life-giving message of salvation even today. And they will continue to reject the truth even during, during the future, future outpouring of God's wrath and judgment during the Great Tribulation. But those who repent, those who repent of their sins and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, the blessed reality is this eternal truth. You know it. I told you to stay in John. You probably know it by heart. John three sixteen. What is it? For God's world that he gave his own son, that whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 18 says this about that. And he or she who believes in him is not judged. You see, to come to Christ right now, we're not judged. We have been, we have taken our sin and placed it upon the, the person of Jesus Christ when he was nailed to the cross. He took willfully your sin, my sin, our sin. He took it upon himself and he shed his blood so that our sins may be forgiven. And we were at that point not judged. He was judged. He was found guilty on our behalf. And His righteousness was given to us. And so now you and I who believe in Jesus Christ, we have His righteousness flowing through us. We have not been judged, but it goes on to say in verse 18, the person who doesn't believe, that person has been judged already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
these dear people who are living through the, the great tribulation could be our loved ones, could be people that we know, people who think they're religious. I have a friend that, that called and just had a portion of his back cut open and, and this, they hope they removed all the cancer. And they're testing it to see if it's not spread. And he asked me to pray for him. Of course I pray for him. I call him every day and pray for him. And I, I've talked to him about the Lord. He's one of the nicest people I've ever known. But I'm fearful. I ask him, where do you go to church? And he says, I, don't, I'm, I, don't, I can't find a good church. I don't go to church. And I think about that. Think about that for a moment. Think about the whole thing of not going to church as a Christian. Look, at I'm married. I absolutely adore my wife. I'm very, very, in my opinion, very fortunate of the woman that God gave me to marry. I can't imagine living a, a moment of my day without spending time with her. Because I love her so much. I am a married man who loves his wife. I want to spend time with her. So for a person to tell me, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church that much. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir, you're here in church, but I don't get it. I am amazed that this, well we, you guys fill this place up, but I'm amazed we're just not, we've we got to build bigger rooms. I'm amazed that people don't want to come to church and just be involved, to, to listen to the music and to sing with, with Anthony and, and, and the group that, that he has put together and, and just to worship the Lord together. It, this is a time where I look forward to being with you more than life itself. I can't imagine... And so for some of my friends, I worry. I worry that they, they just have a, a perverted idea of what is Christianity. What is it to you? I try to teach it as clearly as I know how. It's faith in Christ and Him alone. Amen. And so to be in, involved with one another, is, it's, it's critical. And how do you live your life in the process? How are we growing? The other day... Our daughter-in-law's birthday, and so our son gave us the privilege to take care of the kids for the weekend so he could take her and have a good time. Well, that was great. We, we had fun with the kids, so we went out and bought some ice cream. <laughs> we were having some ice cream coming home. And, and as we were coming home, someone was looking at me, and I didn't notice it until, until he said, Pastor John. And I said, I'm honest. Here's what I thought. How have I been acting for the last few minutes? This guy has been watching me. Have I done anything that was bad? He sat there, forgive me for what I'm going to tell you right now, but he said to me, you changed my life. I used to go to church where you were before, and, and then we moved away, and you changed my life. There was a gentleman that came in the first service, was kind enough to say the same thing. He moved away to another state, and they've come back, and he says he really 
was anxious to come back for one reason. He wanted to come to our church and hear the Word of God preached. Well, that was one thing. But while we were, while we were there, his daughter, this guy's daughter that told me I changed his life, I told him real quickly, I said, you know that wasn't me. I did not change your life. I told him that it was the Word of God, and I'm happy that it did. With that, his daughter, who was as pretty as you could make a girl, young girl, she turned around and she said, you changed my life too. And I started to cry. Because that's the reason I think you and I ought to want to live. So that if the Lord comes back and we get raptured, that our loved ones will come to believe or at least understand so much that they would be willing to do whatever it takes to come to Christ. This week while I was studying this, I want to tell you one thing. I had two minutes. I don't know that I could follow up on my prayer, but I asked the Lord, can I stay? I know I can't be one of the 144,000, but if he comes, can I stay and try to reach people for Christ? Now, I want you to know that I realize that I would probably be the biggest chicken and probably be hiding, you know. Are they, you know? But I'd like to think that I could go to people and say, look, you come to Christ, you're going to be martyred. I'll stand with you. Come to Christ. I hope I'm not too fanatical for you. I hope that I'm not too so way out there that that's all I think about is my faith and our faith. I would love for you to say, coming to this church has changed my life. Not me, but the teaching of the Word of God. I would love for you and me to be a people who walk with Christ so uprightly that when people see us, they'll say something is different about those people. I say all of this to say to you, the rest of this study out of the book of Revelation is going to be bumpy. And I don't know exactly what the Lord is going to teach us through it, but I want to remind you and me that we need to walk with the Lord with integrity. We need to draw people to Christ. The way we'll do that is to grow in our faith. Father, thank you for uh, who you are. God, bless, please, your word. God, bless, please, the people of this church and people of other churches as well. Father, just bless, 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 bless. And may, Father, we be a blessing back to you in return. May we do and live our lives in such a fashion that, that people would say that our lives were changed because of being a part of this church. I pray for that, Father, more than, more than life itself. Lord, bless us, please. Thank you for every person. Would you allow them, Father, to know how much I love them? I do. More importantly, how much you love us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than life itself. Have yourself a great day. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much.